nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you are in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing, and this is Leanne Meyer, and I am really, really happy to be uh, to be able to do this show. So the name of our show is Suicide, How Does It Impact Nurses? And of course, all people and all health providers in general, but um, I just really uh, have been hearing more and more and more about it, and I just felt like this was the time, and and I'm hoping that this will be a really good place for it to be discussed. I just recently heard a statistic on the National Public Radio that both didn't surprise me and blew my mind. 60% of Americans are taking some sort of antidepressant or mood elevator. Um, We might be safe to say that the other 40%, many of them, could be medicating or abusing drugs. I was in my early 20s uh, when I was diagnosed with anxiety attacks. I was aware that my family and probably generations back struggled with depression, but I convinced myself it did not include me. I was handling it just fine. My parents were adamant that we not tell anyone about having such feelings because it would bring such shame on the family, far better than seeking help and healing. Uh, To my parents' credit, there wasn't anything in the 40s and 50s available to them um, in a rural area. And even into the 70s, much of what was considered help was closer to torture. And ECTs is what comes to mind when I think about that. As I age, I realize just how many people around me are similarly afflicted. I truly believe focus on mental health at the level that we focus on diabetes, cancer, and heart failure could change our country by having citizens fully present in their lives and creating healthy minds and bodies. So with that, I'd like to introduce my guest today, our Sherry Ganga, and she wrote a book called The Shattered Oak about her mother's experience overcoming domestic abuse, suicide attempts, and misdiagnosis of mental illness. And um, Sherry, do you want to say hello to the group? How are you? Um, Thank you, Leanne, so much for having me on the show today. I totally appreciate it. You're so welcome. I'm glad you're here. And Dr. Alicia Cornell, Doctor of Nursing Practice and Executive Leadership, she has had 15 years of experience that started with the role of a nursing assistant and now has extended to the role of an executive leader. And uh, she will also share some of her history uh, with us on this subject. So, uh, Alicia, could you say hello? Yes, hello, and thank you, Leanne, and I'm so excited to join you and Sherry today. Thank you again. Good, good. I'm so glad. So, Sherry, um, this might be a good idea, a good time to be able to talk just a little bit about your book and um, why it's unique, um, some of the things you want health providers to know. Sure. Um, The Shattered Oak is based on a true story. It's about my mother and how she uses her faith and her determination to overcome and battle her domestic abuse, suicide, 
and a misdiagnosis of her mental illness. Um, because I did decide to write it from uh, my the victim's perspective, it is open and honest and real, and its truthfulness makes it very relatable. Um, we all know it could be your mother, your father, or your sister, or even yourself going through this similar situation. Um, in my book, Barbara teaches us um, courage and strength and the ability to move forward. The story provides comfort and hope um, that you're not alone when it comes to uh, all those things, you know, whether it be the domestic abuse, suicide, there's divorce in it. So there's, there's, it touches a lot of people's lives in all different kinds of ways, um, but it'll lead you down a path in the end of forgiveness and recovery of how to push through all that. Mm-hmm. And um, I found it very relatable, uh, especially as you were speaking in your mother's voice, um, the language she uses, the words she uses, the frustration and confusion, and all of that comes through very, very clearly. And I found that very relatable. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're so welcome. Well, uh, what are some of the lessons you feel like you've learned from the story, especially while you wrote it? Um, lessons I've learned. I learned to uh, stay in a positive path, like map out my life. And I choose, um, you know, we all have choices in life. You can look at things, you know, it's like the glass of milk, right? You can look half half empty or half full, that old saying. Um, for me, I, I don't know, my father was, a, a, you know, he was much of a preacher too, and he always preached about being positive and keeping your mind positive. Um, so that's one thing I carry greatly from my father, and I do appreciate that he taught us um, to never think negative, to always think positive. So... When I have, which we all have negative thoughts that come up, um, I really just try to say, okay, well, what's, this might be bad. This could be happening, but what's good out of here? Um, do I have my health? Do, you know, like, how's the sun shining for the day? Like, there's, so I guess in, in all reality, what can you be grateful for, right? So um, in my life, even though, you know, might not have been perfect. I grew up with, you know, the domestic abuse and everything surrounded by all that. Um, but I think how I adapted and how I, I don't know how I learned was really just to be grateful of everything. Because if you're grateful, you look at your glass totally different. You, you mm-hmm. can either say, poor me, poor me, poor me. Or you can look at your glass saying, well, what can I do to change this? And how can I be grateful for everything I do have? It could be worse. Someone always has it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's huge for me. I think it's just gratefulness and a positive attitude. And you can't always have that. Don't get me wrong. But um, that's something that I choose to do. And another great point is who I choose to hang out with and who mm-hmm. I surround myself with. That's um, exactly I mean, true. I mean, have that choice. Huh? It's exactly true. Yeah, I mean, we don't always have the choice. Sometimes our coworkers can't be that way or, you know, wherever you are, your family, your friends. But when you do have that choice, when you're not, um, when, you, when it's just your alone time, you, sh- you know, I choose to hang out with people who make me feel good about myself or, or, you know, that are just positive or I can learn from, they're wise, you know. So that's, that's a big thing for me, too, is how I survive my depression or anything is by surrounding myself by better people. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Dr. Cornell, would you like to be called Alicia or um, Dr. Cornell? Can I bring you um, in? Well, we, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, Alicia can, is just fine because I feel like okay. we're all friends. Okay. Um, can can you Cornell's share a little well. bit? Can you share a little about your bio and then how you got to uh, the point of wanting to be helping people with this, these sure. sorts of things? Um, sure. So by trade, by profession right now, I am a clinical consultant. Um, and a part of that, I actually um, I work a full-time job, but my husband and, and myself, we actually um, developed a company um, called RN for Life. And through that company, I provide consulting to executive leaders and also other professions, uh, professionals in uh, nursing um, for career development, um, organizational health, and really transforming um, through uh, what I call a best approach. And so a part of that approach is really recognizing um, and listening with intent, learning how to ask important questions, allowing uh, nursing colleagues or team members to be able to really express themselves and having no fear. And and I use the definition of fear as um, the fear of everything and running, just, you know, not really paying attention to that. So uh, with my own personal story, um, being able to recognize the anxiety that I was going through, um, the depression that I also experienced, um, being able to take a step out of my own life, um, and this is... uh, would be a very humbling experience. I had several of those. Um, I often joke and say I have an invisible scar in my forehead where I kept hitting that same brick wall. Um, but really understanding not to hit it, but how can you climb over it? Um, or is there even a door that presents itself? There's an opportunity that we can just walk through that door. Um, being able to express that, telling my story of um of anxiety, which really manifested into anger, um, similar to Sherry growing up with uh, domestic abuse, um, alcoholism, not having a lot of confidence in myself as a as a young child, having some childhood uh, trauma issues, my own self, being able to have a successful marriage, a successful career, and being successful as a mother was a was a large mountain that I had to learn how to climb. Um, and using those techniques, using um, the things that we learned throughout nursing as far as compassionate care and doing the reverse and turning those instances around and experiences and asking those, those questions that we would normally ask for um, patients, but also realizing that I worked in orthopedics and trauma for over almost 10 years. Um, The amount of things that I saw, the amount of stories that I heard from patients, there's no repository for me to go what I call is um, situation vomit or uh, situation Mm -hmm. therapy. I had no resource. We have um, no established place. And I started to see, um, as I worked for level one academic uh, trauma hospitals, a resilience coach for our providers who dealt with trauma. But we don't have that in nursing, Mm -hmm. not being able to really dispel and and just unload with a listening ear, um, either to a leader or a coworker, colleague, a friend, or another support person within the organization. Um, so that's where my um, experience stems from. And the things that I, I teach and train to executive leaders about relaxing, recognizing uh, through servant leadership what your own um, fallacies are and being okay with that. And we don't often hear the word failure in healthcare. We associate that with being something negative, but accepting that we do have flaws, 
Um, so that's my, my, my basis there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like a good foundation. Um, <clears throat> I, I, as uh, Sherry was talking, um, one of the things that came to my mind is I think I've gone through different phases of depression where um, initially probably it was just you know, feeling sad, feeling overwhelmed, feeling, you know, some of the things that every single person feels. And then I've gone through things that went into more of a a clinical depression. And at that time, I remember when people would say these things to me, you know, go for a walk, enjoy this, you know, be grateful, all of those things. Um, At that time, it was like I could not do that. I was so deeply down that um, Mm -hmm. I had, once I was able to wrap my brain around the fact that the chemistry in my brain was not working. And I later found out part of it, um, I had been born with birth defects and I pretty much have had pain my whole life. And so a lot of the chemicals that work to help us elevate our mood or help us feel better um, were completely being used up dealing with that pain. And uh, so as I got older and the pain got worse, I found that um, I was really in deeply into clinical depression. And I remember a doctor one time just furious with me because um, uh, I think I had started using thyroid medication. You know, it's one of the ways to deal with it. And um, he was just furious. He was like, well, we can help you with that. And why didn't you um, just go for a walk? Why didn't you just, you know, do this or that? And it just, um, I was so mad. I wrote a nine-page letter to the clinic uh, complaining about what kind of doctor would do this. So um, he he continued, but he did change. (laughs) What were you saying, Sherry? I've I've had that same type of experience with a a nurse practitioner who basically told me everything that I was telling her was made up or (sighs) I was experiencing what I was going to experience because of my age. Uh, and okay. it was, it makes you, when you, if you've never experienced it or never experienced wanting to um, commit suicide, not necessarily even having a plan, it's the feeling of being invisible. It's mm-hmm. really like mm-hmm. walking through life and you say to yourself, these people are in an alternative reality than I am. My world is dark. I like to describe what it looks like to me. It looks like a giant monster that every time you went to the door or to the window, he screamed at you or grabbed you or wouldn't let you get out. You know, it's that type of, I just want to do this. So when people are not sensitive to those needs and they don't really hear and they're not listening with intent what you're saying, um, it becomes an easy fix instead of allowing you to elaborate. Um, it is taking me, I've been on my transformation journey, I would probably say for the last um, at least five years of learning all of these things about myself, of being able to express that um, I'm having these negative feelings about myself or even able to just describe what does that look like on this particular day. Can you tell me how different it was than it was two weeks ago when I thought you were happy? Not being able to recognize what other people see in you as far as positive things go. Um, It is very frustrating when clinicians are just using a checklist to make sure they've met all of your points for that visit. Um, exactly. It kind of takes away that extra support person you thought you had. 
Mm-hmm. I want to come back to this. We're, we're kind of butting up against a break here. Um, but that le- learning to listen with intent, I think that's a really important one. And more than just saying it, maybe we can describe some experiences of it, either when we've experienced somebody actually listening to us or when somebody has told us we were listening to them. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse Exploring the World of Nursing. And we're talking today about suicide. How does it impact nurses? And my guests today are Sherry Ganga, who wrote a book about her mother's experience with spousal abuse and being accused of being insane, called The Shattered Oak. And uh, Dr. Alicia Cornell uh, is going to be... is with us all talking about some of her experiences and then how she's used her education to work on this. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact senior executive producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. 
Yes, welcome back. And this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer. In case you're just joining us, we're talking today about suicide, but also mental health and all of those issues that go along with it. And how does it impact nurses? So my guests today are Sherry Ganga, and she wrote a book called The Shattered Oak about her own mother's experience with spousal abuse and being accused of being insane. And I can highly recommend the book. I hope that you will uh, look into it. I found it very helpful. And then Dr. Alicia Cornell is a nurse practice um, uh, ner- doctor of nursing practice uh, in executive leadership. And um, Alicia, I would like if you could, w- we were talking about uh, before the break, coming back and talking about listening with intent. But before we do that, I wonder if you could share with us some of the realities for nurses and what seems to drive them to either suicide or not dealing with their depression or mental health issues? Um, I would really say our culture, honestly. That would be the number one thing. Um, The priority, of course, is patient care. um, And the next thing is to make sure that you are present when you're working. One of the things that is difficult is nursing is highly competitive, even through nursing school. Just the the GPA and the amount of uh, extracurricular activities and um, things of that nature that you have to complete to even get into nursing school from the the undergraduate level, and I'm talking even associate's degree, is very, very intense. Um, And it is extremely competitive. And I believe that process, like we see in medical doctors, it eliminates um, that gray area of failure. Uh, It's either you do well or you're excused, literally excused Mm -hmm. from the program if you're Mm -hmm. not doing well. So being able, we don't, it's just a straight line. It's a drive. There's no, I didn't ever feel like, and I think, um, and I'm still an educator today and for higher education, that there's not always a clear path. And when I have my students and they are, they are coming to me and they're talking to me, they need an extension or for a deadline or an assignment extension, um, they have so many things. It's almost like we need permission as a, Mm -hmm. as a career professional to say, I need a a mental health day. We want Mm -hmm. our leader to tell us that it's okay for us to take a break. We are always seeking permission um, for PTO, seeking permission Mm -hmm. to spend time with your family, seeking permission to have a not-so-great day. Um, If you're a bedside nurse and you wake up in the morning and today is not a good day, you've got to go to your shift. I mean, you can't call out. There's penalties for that. Um, You're not seen as a team player. Um, there There is no acceptance of today is not a good day. There's not, there's hardly any reassurance that, um, normal things that society faces, postpartum depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, ideations, um, natural, like you said before, chemical imbalances, that these things are actually occurring in nurses. It is almost as if we joke around and we talk about wearing a cape and being superheroes. I think mm-hmm. we really believe that we are not human. And hmm. I think that's really, you know, becoming um, very evident is that we are human. We do have the right um, to have these feelings, and you do have the right not necessarily to make a mistake, but we do have features and models and things in place. We have a just culture algorithm if an incorrect medication or procedure is performed, but really um, 
we do have also this lateral violence situation in nursing where we are um, capitalizing on someone's errors or making fun of them for not knowing or really chastising them for being a new member onto our team or a new um, a nurse. And it, it makes it where we don't always feel like we have room to grow um, in our own personal growth. All we think about is professional growth. Um, we don't really talk about these things. Um, I've not, I've heard nurses speak about the use of their um, medications and going to the doctor, but I've never really had an opportunity to have a conversation at work within the healthcare environment where we're actually talking about some of the other healthy things, um, thinking positive, or even the use of um, employee assistance programs or learning and development departments. Um, I think we just don't, we, we don't speak about it. We are in the shadow for our feelings. Our feelings should be mm-hmm. cloaked away. We don't, we don't deal with those things straight on. That would probably be um, one of the things that I feel like we're missing. We don't have those. Even a wonderful leader, a wonderful yes. leader, sometimes just doesn't have enough time to have this conversation with you. With each nurse, maybe, you know, one or two, but to have that with every nurse is pretty difficult. It would be overwhelming. Yeah. yeah it would be and, something overwhelming for you to do. The other thing, and, and we had talked about this previously, um, is that many times we don't acknowledge or recognize in ourselves the symptoms that we're very aware of in our patients or people around us. And it's to me, it's like watching grass grow. It's happening so mm-hmm. slowly and gradually. So until I was very fortunate where I had a, a wonderful leader, and I remember um, the first time she came up to me and she said, Leanne, what's going on for you? And I, I was like, well, I've got this patient, this patient. You know, I was telling her mm-hmm. about all the different things to do and the tasks that I had to do. She said, no. She said, I've noticed that you're not um, wearing makeup. You had always been doing that, that... Um, uh, just different things about my clothing, my attitude, just different things that she had noticed were really going downhill. And she asked me to go and see um, Employee Assistance Program, and I ignored her for a while. And then she said, okay, I asked mm-hmm. once. Now I'm going to say, you have to go. That's an order. Yeah. And I had no idea that that was going to be like finding a new best friend. Um, first time maybe that somebody really, truly, deeply listened to what I had to say and <clears throat> helped me understand that there w- I wasn't sick, bad, crazy, or stupid because I was experiencing this. I simply was a human being, and this was where I was at, and I needed to talk mm-hmm. about it and work it through. So when you talk about listening with intent, you know, as, a, as an executive leader, what, what do you mean by that? What would it look like? Exactly. Some of the things that you just mentioned, recognizing that a person that's a high performer um, or a person that's consistent, not even necessarily about their performance, just consistent. They're always there on time. They're all always cheerful. What are they wearing? Um, how are they engaging and interacting? Those are, you have everything that someone says to you that's going through this, it's probably going to be about um, 5% of what they actually verbalize. Your mm-hmm. listening is going as an executive leader would come in where you are actually recognizing. Um, and, and if you're an executive and you have direct reports that are managing these people, helping them to also recognize in them and themselves, what does this look like? If I get up and I don't do my hair and I'm always in a bun and I stop wearing makeup and I stop 
you know, wearing perfume or things of that nature, that is a red flag. That is an immediate red flag that something's going on. If I'm disengaged, I, I no longer want to participate. And listening with intent, the first step is to not ask someone, are you okay? Because I think <laughs> that's the first thing we don't want to hear. I am mm-hmm. fine. There's yep. nothing going on. You know, why would you say that? But asking those questions about things that you may know that are important. How's the family doing? How's that going? How How is that project? Just so that you can start to build up some trust. Um, I had an experience the very first time the CEO of the company that I work for now actually asked me, um, is there anything that I needed to be able to help me through a stressful situation. He recognized we were in stress and Mm -hmm. he asked me, this is the first time I've ever been asked and allowed to, and and because I do a different job now, I'm not taking care of patients, but go home and work from home. Do you want to not work? Mm -hmm. Which is, no, I kind of want to. I I want to be doing something. Well, can you go home and work this week? Is that Mm -hmm. going to be something? And if so, or do you just need to take off? So being able to ask follow-up questions. We also had a mental health uh, first aid course that was offered to us. It's a national from uh, NAMI, but it's a national um, course. But being able to to recognize and write down and do the activities in that mental health, for, uh, mental health first aid course was something that was also, um, let's recognize some things about ourselves. So the leader has to start to recognize those. Um, how do you express anger? Um, have you had mm-hmm. any things in your past that were traumatic, eventful, a death? Uh, my great-grandmother, who was more like a mother to me, passed away when I was seven, um, didn't really deal with that until my mid-20s of understanding what death is. Um, and then being in a high-risk a high risk area, a lot of uh, NICU, ICU, we see a lot of deaths, we see a lot of um, family dysfunction, um, a lot of these other things. So learning as a leader to first recognize what is it about myself, and if possible, this is a great opportunity to seek help for yourself or to seek some other avenues or modalities of being able to deal with pain, fear, anxiety, stress, um, and not being afraid of medications that help. There are, I personally chose not to take medication, but I also recognize as a clinician and, a, um, and been in healthcare for years and years that some people have a problem. It is not okay to disregard it or not take a medication, but we should also want to create an environment uh, that's judgment-free and mm-hmm. where someone can say, I do take these medications. If you ever notice that something is wrong, I have X, Y, Z, please pay attention to me. And we shouldn't yeah. feel that we will be terminated or fired for having um, mental health problems. Even it can be other things associated. One thing that came out when you were first talking about, excuse me, people saying, I'm fine. Um, I went to um, uh, an an encouraging conference, basically, and and the guy that was speaking was uh, kind of a comic, but he said that what he had learned over the years is when somebody says, I'm fine, I'm fine. It means that they're frustrated, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. And I, I, Mm -hmm. you know, in the middle of this conference, I just chortled out loud. And I'm kind of looking around and other people were laughing, but I was like really loud. And I thought, oh my gosh, this really 
comes home for me because when I would be telling people I was fine, that's what I was saying. I'm really not fine. Um, And so sometimes just coming at it from a little different way, um, not just accepting that word. Um, And then when you were talking about um, the medications, I had an experience of having a low thyroid. And um, so I wasn't aware of it. It was nothing anybody had ever tested on me. I had gone in to do an MRI for something completely different. I was having neck problems and had the MRI. And after that, they said, well, you really need to have your thyroid checked out. It looks like it's not good. It's very, um, they called it like oatmeal-like. So from that, I was able to get started on um, uh, uh, Synthroid. And because of that, most of the symptoms or many of the symptoms that I had been experiencing that seemed like mental health issues were related to that low thyroid. And uh, I noticed that when um, I would go back into those symptoms, it would be the same thing, that either the thyroid was off or um, something needed to be adjusted. So it's not even necessarily that the medications uh, are mental health uh, medications. Right, exactly. Um, And I would say for myself, too, um, I notice that when I am more depressed or feel more depressed or anxious, I have to look at my food. I'm very sensitive to the way foods interact with my body. A lot of meat, sometimes dairy or too many carbs. Especially when I'm eating, when I'm having fun and I'm enjoying myself, and I'm I'm having too many, um, not necessarily alcoholic beverages, but maybe I've had that, and then I've had a great meal, and it's you know on um, vacationing or I'm enjoying myself. Um, it is it's too much. I get headaches, and then it's a quick decrease in that amount of energy, and I feel angry. I stop and say, what what's happening right now? Um, I'm overeating is what mm-hmm. I'm actually doing. I'm dehydrated. Um, a lot of things, just like you said, a lot of these symptoms are really underlying signs and symptoms of something else. I had fibroids for years and never really knew how much they had grown until I finally couldn't take it no anymore. And uh, my, uh, our, our, my GYN told me um, my blood, my iron in my blood was severely low. I had horrible headaches. All of those things, irritability, anger, not being able to sleep, all of this, and I was still a nurse manager on a 32 inpatient bed with 70 employees. I totally overlooked that. Um, And, you know, I'll be honest and transparent and say that my behaviors were so erratic and so out of whack, I actually got terminated from that job, (laughs) which probably seems like the worst thing in the world. That was the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to deal with myself and slow down and take a look at the bigger picture. I had underlying health problems that were debilitating. I couldn't even get out of bed sometimes, and I still Mm -hmm. forced myself. Um, I was not on a schedule. I was so erratic. I was 24-7, and I was go, 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 go. I didn't know who I was. I used to cry. I used to lock my office door, cry, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just not being able to listen, and then still wipe my eyes, open my door, and and hug the next nurse who says, you know, I didn't have time for lunch today. Well, I haven't eaten in a week, Mm -hmm. but that's okay as long as everyone else is fine. Um, And we ignore all of that. All of that. And I, I really feel like it's, a, it's not just being a nurse. It's a pathology of sometimes um, our roles in life, men versus women. And for women, right. we have a pathology of being a caretaker. That's mm-hmm. our DNA. We don't know how to stop doing that. I 
have had to, through my uh, therapist recommendations, everyone that calls me is not having a problem. I don't have to ask <laughs> everybody that picks up the phone or sends an email. Yeah. They're not having a problem. You know, so, I mean, simple things like turning my phone off, taking mm-hmm. email off my phone until, I, you know, until it's necessary. Some of these uh, small tips also, um, everything is not so grand, and it's not so that I'm, I'm having this horrible life and everything is failing. It's the small things, just taking time. I think Sherry mentioned being positive and being thankful and grateful for all of the things that are great and going on. Even um, I never told myself thank you. I never appreciated myself for any mm-hmm. level of education I completed. It was on to the next thing. What do I do next? Right. Right. Never enough. That was kind of the, the thing enough. that chased me. And I always thought it came from my family, but I realized it really at some point had come from within. So it was like, no matter what I accomplished or no, no matter what I did, I still felt like it wasn't enough. Never enough. Never enough. But <clears throat> one thing um, that was I was so grateful for is, again, having wonderful managers along the way. And <clears throat> I had one manager who uh, she was very upbeat most of the time, but she shared with us, like in um, different situations, like a, um, a staff meeting where maybe somebody was talking about um, something they were experiencing, somebody just died in their family or, you know, whatever. And she would encourage that to be an important part of the staff meeting, to be able to get um, uh, caring and attention and support from all the other people around us. And she would share when she was experiencing something, she went through breast cancer. And, um, you know, she had said uh, that that was something that she just felt like she couldn't possibly tell the staff because they would lose um, respect for her, lose um, trust in her. Mm-hmm. But what she found is that when she did actually say, you may have wondered why I'm not quite myself this last couple of months, but I need you to know this is what's going on for me. Um, I don't want you to, you know, treat me any different or not come and, and ask me if you need help and that sort of thing. But just know if I'm not behaving in the way you're used to seeing me, there's a reason why. And that and takes a lot of courage. It really does. And I have even, you know, when I'm training, when I'm going and I'm coaching these executive leaders, um, that is a lot of, that's very brave. That was extremely brave because I think we don't always feel like we have that opportunity to go through things. But to have someone say that out loud is mm-hmm. really something that probably would have settled me. Like, I can say these things. I can yeah. say, you know, my uncle's not doing well and I'm really worried. Or someone right. told me something really traumatic and I don't know what to do with it. What do yeah. I, how do I how do I eliminate this from my thought right now, but still be sympathetic to this person's need? Right. Um, we don't. One, we don't always. We don't get that in nursing school. One of the things that I learned from the psychologist that I saw at um, um, EPA is that it uh, employment. Uh, no, it went right out of my brain. But the EAP. Um, EAP. So. Yeah, and one of the things that she had said is sometimes one of the greatest gifts we can give to someone else is to allow them to help us. And that had never occurred to me. I was the nurse. I was the helper. I was the one that was supposed to, you know, be there for everyone else. And it was like um, um, like a failure if I had to accept mm-hmm. help from someone else. And so that was That's something guilty. I really had to erase from my 
playbook of who I was and, and um, what was okay and what wasn't. We're actually at a another break time, and so I want to go ahead and take that break. And uh, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And if you're just coming in, we're talking about not just suicide and what nurses need to know about it, but mental health in general and just um, allowing ourselves to uh, give ourselves a break. So my um, two guests are Sherry Genga, uh, who wrote a book about uh, her mother's experience with spousal abuse and um and being uh, misdiagnosed as being mentally ill. Uh, The book is called The Shattered Oak, and I highly recommend it. And my other guest is Dr. Alicia Cornell, and she is... um, she has uh, is holding a doctor of nursing practice in executive leadership, but she's also working with nurses um, to help them in their daily life and in things that are going on. So uh, coaching and, and consulting. So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact Senior Executive Producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you can be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, 
please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, and I'm here. We're talking on a very important topic, uh, especially for nurses, um, and, and certainly applicable to every, most everybody else. So suicide and how does it impact nurses? And my guests today are Sherry Genga, who wrote a book called The Shattered Oak, about the experiences that she went through as a young person and learning her own way through this kind of jungle. And then Dr. Alicia Cornell, who is a doctor of of nursing practice in executive leadership and also helps um, nurses, particularly uh, through consulting and and coaching. So as we come back... Um, I'm wondering, do you know, um, uh, Alicia, any of the like the statistics of nurses that I, I know that doctors are being studied a lot more as far as how much how many are committing suicide. But do you know as far as nurses what's happening? Um, right now, the most of the statistics I found really just point to the female um, population, and it really hasn't been well. Um, that was one of the things a lot of the research spoke to was um, being able to really identify this demographic. We are seeing an increase in um, the average, and so the average of age of nurses is around 45, and in the U.S., this is the second highest area of of suicide in females in all populations. Um, but recently, as um, according to nurse.org, in 2017, the female population, for female population, nurses were 23% more likely to commit suicide than women in general. Um, and this wow. was mainly due to access, of course, to lethal medication. Um, but I really feel like a large part of this has to do with um, identification of who they were um, and having families being okay with saying this person that committed suicide in my family was a nurse. So one mm-hmm. of the articles that I read from one of the researchers, she's a, actually a, um, a nurse researcher at UC Davis. She actually developed a program called HERE. Um, one of the things that she commented on was um, this may only happen one time at a hospital for years. This may not be something that happens mm-hmm. a lot or something that they're willing. Uh, I actually had a coworker who committed suicide um, who worked with us, and it was the family's request to not have that information publicized. Mm-hmm. And so not really being able to collect it, we don't really know, but we do know is that it is increasing because it's increasing in the female population. And so mm-hmm. we know that this is um, something that impacts um, nurses now at a higher rate. Um, and um, starting really starting to identify what that is outside of our physicians. We've seen the physician rate um, start to come down some, but now we're seeing the nurses, um, and, I, and I really believe that's just attributed to self-identification, being able to really identify who mm-hmm. are these people. Well, and the other part of it, um, I keep hearing uh, more and more about uh, bullying and burnout, as the two things yeah. that are really rising significantly. And one of the things that comes to my mind is I think of all the tough, tough times that I had um, being a nurse, but we didn't have uh, as much emphasis on the computers. 
And in fact, as I was leaving with many, many injuries from nursing, um, that was when computers were just coming in. And I think that that whole concept of the techie aspect um, usually invites a different personality than the people who come interested in being a nurse. A nurse wants to be at the bedside. She wants to be able to have those interactions with her patient to really learn more than just what's going on on the surface and maybe even their diagnosis and, you know, some other things. But in doing a bed bath with a patient, many times I found that they would come to trust me and open up and tell me things that never were said before. Like in Cher's case, maybe a woman who is being abused at home Uh or a child that's being abused at home, that because of that tenderness that's that comes about and the caring nurses give to patients it opens people to share what might be actually at the bottom of all of the issues that they are dealing with um on the surface yeah what are your thoughts about that yeah i'm a hybrid i'm actually a nurse in tech and so it is a very different world for me it's very bizarre makes me feel at most um very ambiguous because of that same realm. And yes, nurses that are in tech, we have to dial up um, a very analytical part of our brain. I am the nurse who was very, I have always been interested in the patient story um, and mm-hmm. listening. And I always, you know, I tried to use those opportunities. And we actually used um, Gene Watson, um, the commitment really? to caring. And we had it. yes, we had a whole nursing theoretical model built at our hospital. It was called Commitment to Caring. Um, this was at UNC Hospitals, but we actually went through scripts, pulling up a chair beside the patient, asking them about their day, not coming in with a bunch of paperwork and medications, but really uh-huh. hearing the patient's perspective and point of view. And in my mm-hmm. opinion, a lot of that has been lost in documentation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have a different generation of nurses that are on the floors taking care of the patients who are, their goal and objectives are to document by a certain time. Um, They're Mm -hmm. looking at the physiological symptoms, but they don't really know how to integrate that um, your patient may present clinically to be stable. Mm-hmm. But when you talk to them, you know, and I worked in trauma, ortho and trauma, so we have patients who have been in car accidents who lost their use of their limbs. They were in horrible accidents. Mm-hmm. Um, they may have been quadriplegics. They may have had traumatic brain injuries. Um, we had a psychologist and uh, therapist and all of those things. But as nurses, we never, um, I don't, I used to get, tongue-tied talking to someone because I don't know what it feels like and I don't know how to express my compassion for a person who can no longer walk. What is right. when, and I, when I faced that the first time, um, I really had to go back to something I learned as a young child. I had to go back to my faith and just pray about it because that's the only other answer that I, I had no clinical, no nursing answer, no intervention that could possibly help me while I was sitting in this room with a person. Um, the first time I ever had that happen, the door was closed, and it was a gentleman, a young man, and it it, it hit him. The phantom pain was he was hurting, oh, and yeah. he just, you know, he just said, I'm you know, I can't walk. I'm not going to be able to walk. Um, I didn't say anything. I just told him, say what you have to say. I don't care if you use curse words. I don't care what the language is. Just say what you have to say. It's just me and you. Right. I'm not offended. I don't judge you. 
And that was probably the first person, including his family, that allowed him to just say it. Just say it, you know, and what are you going to, it was, um, same feeling after my fibroids and I had to, the choice I had was to have an elective hysterectomy. That was very Mm -hmm. devastating because at that point I had to accept that I would no longer be able to have children with my husband. It was Mm -hmm. over. I did not, I would not be able to do that. Um, it was very painful. It was very emotional. And post-surgery, the floor that I was on was the women's floor in the maternity, on the maternity ward. And so mm-hmm. hearing those babies crying was another element. Um, but being able to have an avenue, what do I do with that, you know, or how do I deal with that? Now, that's in my mind. And I actually, through my experience as a trauma nurse, um, my first, uh, and really, adult anxiety was uh, riding in cars. I was terrified. I stopped driving for years. I just actually recently began to drive again about three years ago. I actually stopped driving. I was terrified to be Mm -hmm. behind the wheel of a car because I didn't want any, I did not want a painful accident and I didn't want a painful death. That's all I thought about. I have to stop this. I can't believe it, but we're coming to the end of our show again, and this just uh, always keeps happening every week. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I wanted to just ask each of you if there's one thing in like a minute or so that you could share with um, healthcare providers that you think would be the most important thing that you've learned that might be helpful for them. So, Sherry, could you talk first? Sure. First, I want to say quickly, thank you all nurses. You do a wonderful job without your help and your diagnosis and looking at your patients in depth. Um, my mother wouldn't have been diagnosed with cushion disease without a special nurse, so mm-hmm. I want to thank all the nurses out there. Thank you for all your help and your kindness. Um, secondly, um, I wrote this in my book, and it's something that's pretty powerful that, you know, everybody should know that, you know, some, you know, there's strength in numbers. Reach out to those who you love and provide comfort and protection. Seek shelter from friends if you're struggling from any spousal, spousal abuse. Um, fear alone can take from one innocence. Fearful of your next attack can weaken your soul. So remember, some stories are meant to be a secret and some stories are meant to be forgotten and some stories need to be heard to let the survivor live. Mm. Um, May you find comfort and peace in your voice that must be heard. Boy, that says a lot right there. And we we are actually um, down to um, just a minute here. And so I'm sorry, Alicia, I'm going to have to come in here and give our, you know, take us out. Um, One point I I found, um, one of my favorite um, authors Uh, I found a quote this morning that said, the human spirit is as as expansive as the cosmos. This is why it is so tragic to belittle yourself or to question your worth. No matter what happens, continue to push back the boundaries of your inner life, the confidence to prevail over any problem, the strength to overcome any adversity, and uh, unbounded hope all reside within you. And this is from Dr. Daisaku Ikeda, my mentor. And I have to take us out. This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer. Thank you to my guests, uh, Sherry and Alicia. And uh, thank you to all of the audience. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America. Thank you. 
you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive 